Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal. And I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Welcome, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing? Good. And uh, losing my voice again here for a second now. Um, All these podcasts, eh? <laughs> running, out, running out of voice. All right, Bruce. We're here today to talk. It's, we're not going to do the keep, hold, or fold on Connor McDavid. <laughs> Leon keep, keep. <laughs> or Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Keep. I guess you could do it with Ryan Nugent Hopkins. You could. I think you can make an argument. It's one of those horrible arguments that that are that are made of that the everybody hates. Well, the value is high mm-hmm. arguments, and mm. everybody hates because no. Come on, if we're honest, how many NHL teams really do that ever? There's you can you could find examples probably mm-hmm. on one hand of the old pump and dump like where someone actually builds up the value and moves them, but it hardly ever happens. And I think actually you can make a real argument. This is the time to move RNH. <coughs> but we're not going to get into that. We're not going to do that. Well, we would, not, we would not be popular with Oilers fans because the Nuge is uh, about as popular as it gets around here. I mean, I've been hearing so many people that just say it's a non-starter with me in trade. Yeah. Nuge. It almost wouldn't matter what they got back for him, which I mean. What if you got the top puck moving right shot demon that you've been looking for forever? What if you got Tyson mm-hmm. Berry? So that's what I'd be talking about. Mm-hmm. And and so that's the only, so I guess we weren't going to do this, but I've done it. Okay. So, so he's a hold for me. And I, if you got the right puck moving mm-hmm. right shot, power play quarterback, top four D man. Yeah, I would, I would do it. So there you have it. That, that, that's my horrible, honest to God opinion on the matter. Okay. Because uh, I think he had a really great season offensively. I don't. I think he's a good defensive player, not a great defensive player. I don't think he's a driver of his own line. He's a he's a good, very good complementary player on a first or second line. <clears throat> okay, but he's not moving. He's going to be with the Oilers. There's no way they're moving him. I don't think. Bruce, how have the Oilers been using these three players? Are they using them correctly? We're talk about usage. Are they, do they use them correctly? What's the best way to use them? Best way to use them is to find them some freaking teammates that can play with them. That's 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 my cutting edge opinion. Like Tyson uh, Berry, they used them so much last year because they didn't have very many options. These three guys were by such a huge margin the three best forwards on the team uh, that they had to pile them over the boards as much as possible. To the degree that uh, Connor McDavid led all NHL forwards in average ice time per game, with Leon Drysaddle second. Uh, that Leon Dreisaitl led the NHL in total ice time because he played all 82 games and McDavid missed a couple to illness and a couple more to suspension. And even Nuge, as uh, mostly playing on a different line at the center position, uh, he was in the uh, top 25 in the league, one of only 26 forwards to average 20 minutes a night. So they always had three out of 26, right, in the entire league who played 20 minutes a night playing up front. And that's because the coaches had so few other options that they had to play and, frankly, I think overplay these guys uh, to their detriment. I don't know about that. I think they can handle a lot of ice time. But um, I, and I don't really, like, I've pounded on, like, breaking up McDavid and Dreisaitl. Mm-hmm. And clearly it, it worked having them together this year 
Um, it, they, they didn't have any other alternatives, really. They didn't have enough wingers. I, I really did like the Mc, McDavid R&H Tyratty line. <clears throat> I wish Tyratty had remained healthy. I think yeah. that line could have done something this year, and I think it would have been really great for the team. I don't know who they would have played with Drysaddle, though, like, honestly. Um, so Drysaddle, you know, uh, he wants to score. He wants to play with a good player. So pretty hard to keep him and McDavid off the same line this year. They've got to find, like you say, Bruce, they've got to find some wingers and some defensemen who can combine with these guys in the offensive zone better than the orders have. They really didn't have any D-men who worked particularly well in the offensive end. You mm-hmm. know, you'd put the puck, puck back to the point, like David or Dreisaitl. It's not like mm-hmm. there's a moment, oh, oh, there's going to be a dangerous shot or there's going to be a um, tricky pass to free up one of these players down low. It's like, mm-hmm. no, they might keep it in. best you're going to do is put it back to the corner. And mm-hmm. um, yeah. it's, it's, it's just starting to make drive me crazy like the the lack of offensive of ability of the Oilers defenseman including off Oscar Clefbaum and Darnell Nurse in the offensive zone it's it's um it is a huge problem on the Oilers so as much as they need wingers they gotta they've got to change out I think they need really need to change out two of the D-men mm-hmm. and I would say Chris Russell and um Matt Benning are at the top of my list even though Benning's got the best he's he was the best shot, you know, most likely to get the shot on net mm-hmm. in that particular situation. But his puck moving is otherwise mediocre. So I just want to see some better Caleb Jones, maybe Yol Person, Yol Person, uh, in there this year, and um, mm-hmm. Andre Sekera in there this year. And um, what they can find on the wing is another question. I mean, it doesn't look like like Arby's going to be here. Like, where are they going to get? Yeah. What are they going to do? Yeah, well, that's that's the question. I mean, uh, when we talked about Sam Gagne, I mean, he's a depth forward, but he's if we, you look at the stats and, and, and assume that what he did in 25 games here is representative of the player, he was the fourth best offensive forward that Edmonton had in terms of scoring points, in terms of shots on net, uh, you know. And, I mean, Sam Gagne... Uh, You've got to have a couple of layers of players, I would suggest, between between him and the top of your lineup at this stage. But they just had, you know, the wings that they did have were not real creative players. You know, Alex Chason and Zach Cassian, they scored a few goals by being on the ice with the right players. But I'm not sure that they created a whole lot. And uh, uh, the orders just, as they currently stand on defense or the wing, they don't have many creative players. That what they do have is the big three, and this is the core of the team that, uh, that we're talking about in this podcast. Uh, nice so to have those three on, guys. They can't count on Lucic. Hopefully, they won't be counting on him. Like they going in there last year, Lucic was mm-hmm. pegged in on the second line. Oh yeah, Elias Reader was the other guy. Mm-hmm. Both monumental flops, and Raddy and Nugent Hopkins on the top lines. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would bring back Ty Ratty personally. I don't think he will be back. I don't. I don't mind him. Uh, I, I I don't think he'd be a bad idea as a depth signing. But uh, fact is, last year that the depth signings that they did make, uh, combined with the young guys that they expected to take a step forward, Paul Yarby that you mentioned, and Kyler Yamamoto, uh, it just hasn't clicked. For you know, none of those best laid plans actually seem to work out with in real life. 
But one plan did work, Bruce. It was to give Tyler Benson and Cooper Marodi a year mm -hmm. in the AHL. Both of them excelled at mm -hmm. the AHL level, point mm -hmm. of game players. Uh, Marodi was and Benson mm -hmm. was close. They might get a top mm -hmm. six winger out of those two guys. One of those two guys might break through this year on your on your second line. And I, I, I would hope to see, at least for starting the year, one of them on the third line, and hopefully he can work his way up. So we have Cassian, I guess, uh, as a candidate. Mm -hmm. Um, who ended up on McDavid, <laughs> McDavid's line. So that's four guys. Mm -hmm. So let's say that you add Cassian to McDavid, Nugent Hopkins, and Dreisaitl. Mm -hmm. um, Cassian, Benson, and then someone that they, they sign is your, yeah. your other guy. And uh, with the 50 cents of cap space that they've got. It's yeah. likely not Yamamoto or Marodi. Um, mm -hmm. Could be, but uh, that would be expecting a lot. So it's probably not Pulley-Aravi. Um, so they got to find a top six Somehow. winger. Well, it could be this. They signed, um, what's his noodle? The Swedish um, winger. Nygaard. Nygaard, Joachim Nygaard. Mm -hmm. Fast. But he sounds like a third line winger. Mm -hmm. um, so they got to find someone. Yeah. It's, I, it, we, we haven't mentioned the name Alex Chase on yet. Right. He's a he's a really mediocre even strength scorer. Well, yeah, I don't I don't think the time that he spent on the first line, I didn't think the first line was that effective. No, and you know the time that Zach Cassian spent on the first line, which was uh, most of the second half of the season, uh, they were a very productive offensive line, but defensively they were a disaster. And here's my here's my hidden stat for you on on Connor McDavid. Uh, and that's not an opinion on a David McDavid. This is a stat. Um, but in the last uh, half of the season, according to natural stat trick, I, I looked at all the players that played at least 300 minutes in the five-on-five play in the second half of the season, 529 NHL players. And of them, Connor McDavid was 529th and last in the NHL with the worst goals against per 60 of any player in the league. 4.4 goals against, 4.24 goals against per 60. Now, some of that is incidental, some of that is teammates, some of that certainly is goaltending, some of it is just, you know, not getting the save or not having the percentages on their side. But the fact is they scored three and a half goals per 60, which is great, but they gave up four and a quarter goals per 60. So scoring is great, but what the game is really about is outscoring. And this right now is an issue, and that's, uh, if I'm Dave Tippett, that's a problem that I look at right away is trying to figure out what do we do about that? Because it doesn't matter, you know, if you're scoring four and giving up five or whatever, you know, it's not a winning proposition. McDavid has some growth to do as a defensive hockey player. I, I think that's, that's my comment about the player. And I know mm -hmm. that's not a popular thing to say, but he yeah. needs a little bit of work on recognizing the right player to cover in the slot, um, mm -hmm. making defensive reads. It's not easy. It's a really difficult. Yeah, it's not, not an issue. I don't think of of uh, of, of laziness of effort or it's effort. It's an issue of, uh, as you say, recognition. And also, I think it's just a matter of having all this offensive pressure heaped on these guys. Like, if you don't yeah. score, we're not going to score. So you better score, and you better hope your goalie makes the save when the puck goes the other way. And certainly, he scored. I mean, David last year. Here's my other secret stat. Not so secret, probably. He scored 116 points, and the Oilers scored 229 goals. So he literally was involved in more than half of Edmonton's goals on the season. And that's officially, Bruce. I haven't tallied up how many 
goals he was involved in where he made the you know the fourth yes. the, the uh, third fourth or fifth assist right <laughs> he's probably involved in about 130 of the goals i'm guessing yeah i had a few more anyway yeah he was in a more than half and now i i don't have the computing chops to let a computer figure it out for me but i went back sort of manually and looked at uh hot shot scores and the last guy i could find who scored who was in on half of his team's goals was Yaramir Jagr in 1998-99. Uh, he had 127 points out of 248 goals for Pittsburgh. So he was a little bit, he was around 52%. Wow. And, you know, I mean, you're talking about the, the creme de la creme. Uh, when you're talking about guys like Yaramir Jagr and Connor McDavid as offensive players, uh, the issue is not offensive. The issue is that you don't have enough offensive players that are piling too much of this expectation on these three guys, two guys even. <laughs> so where we end up with, there's no, the, the right question isn't to ask about usage. The right mm -hmm. question to ask is about, can they finally get some line mates for these guys? Yeah. And if they do, then they have more options and they can split them up or use them in different mm -hmm. combinations. And maybe that's going to work, but what a nightmare to go into the season yet again. And so yeah. I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know well, you know, there's all these names floating, floating around Brett Connolly, you know, but it's, yeah. it's, Casting a shadow over that is this incredible, incredibly stupid contract that the uh, Flyers gave Kevin Hayes uh, seven years at seven point one million dollars. What is what is Brett Connolly thinking now? What yeah. is um, Joachim, uh What's his name? Or Jonas Donskoy thinking? What is Gustav um, Nyquist thinking? The owners can't afford a, a five or six million dollar a year winger. It's not going to happen. Guess whose name is now on the top of everybody's comparables list. Connolly? Right? No, no, Hayes. Oh, yeah. Oh, Hayes. Yeah, right? yeah exactly. Yeah. I mean, if Hayes did this and got $7 million and I did this, then I should get $8 million or $6 million or what have you, right? But either way, it's it's a very high bar. So, uh, and I mean, two other issues. I mean, with the Cassian-McDavid dry saddle line, and we hammered on this throughout our podcasts throughout the year of uh, Cassian's uh, defensive inability to take away the lanes and the passing lanes and penalty kill and the shooting lanes and so on. And the other one that I know you were strong on throughout the year was the, uh, the two centers in the defensive zone model where both McDavid and Drysaddle are the defense are, the, are, are, you know, F1 and F2 or whatever you want to call them, but not necessarily, uh, you know, got their signals sorted out as to who's taking what guy, who's the center in this situation, and just too many sort of lapses where there was an easy guy, man left open for, uh, you know, a tap-in or, or a gold-plated uh, scoring chance. So not really your, for all that the, they have wonderful scoring talent, uh, not really uh, the kind of dominant two-way line that you'd love to have. You know, no, there's no Yari Curry on that line. Let's put it that way. And I think Dreisaitl is the makings of a really good defensive center. And I, and I think, Bruce, if you went and looked at the replays, you'd find, I bet you, 10 goals maybe in the last half of the year where either McDavid or Dreisaitl thought they were playing center or wing or didn't know what he was playing, and the guy crept into the slot and scored. It was constant. Yeah, it was very common. And this is, this is the problem with moving them around constantly. I think maybe if you just stuck with them together on the same line and said, okay, McDavid, you're the wing. You're the guy. We're going to break you out, and Drysaddle's going to advance the puck, mm -hmm. um, which is, I think, the the roles that they should have um, that they're best at. Um, 
Now, you know, McDavid probably has to be the center. Like, I just there there is a bit of a screw up. It's not, it's not working when they're on, in in their own zone, as you're pointing out here. I mean, that stat I think is really says a lot. And we listen, we track mistakes on scoring chances against McDavid's went up this past year a mm-hmm. lot. And, yeah, he, um, he had the highest rate of centers on the Oilers, and, and the, by your right. system that you made up you have to sort him by position that's, that's right and then dry side was they were way ahead of stroman nugent hopkins and cave mm-hmm. so and it's a cost to do in business and sometimes you say well damn it your goalie needs to stop one of those and you know yeah but this uh, is just but, takes on three day chances this isn't mm-hmm. how many they're letting in yes this is the actual right. mistakes they're making the rate of and um I, there's no they they shouldn't the rates shouldn't have been that high they shouldn't be that high so there's a problem there that needs solving and um it's one of the things that will that will be that will be up to tip it so so yeah so we have again usage isn't the issue well this is a usage issue because i think putting them together on the same line or mixing them around back and forth that doesn't work it's like okay make up your minds play them one or the other because it's not working defensively to constantly shift them I think that is the clear indication we're getting from the numbers. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think that uh, some kind of uh, systematic play, you know, that's something that the new coaching staff is going to need to work on. And I do think that all that ice time, all game after game after game, I do think those guys retired at the end of games oftentimes. And I know I read tons and tons of criticism of Drysaddle being lazy and the guy's playing like 24 minutes a night, three times in four days or something. Well, uh, at that rate, you have to pick your spots a little bit. Just, I mean, I made this point during the season frequently that, you know, you have your 28 or 30 minute a, a game defenseman like Drew Doughty or Ryan Suter. And it's not like those guys are busting their ass for the entire game. It's they're picking their spots and so on. Well, that's a lot easier to do at defense as a forward. And the forward can look bad when he's not, like racing around on his whole shift. But when the guy's playing 24 minutes, it's, uh, you know, it becomes a, <laughs> a very difficult challenge. So the center got, is always on the go. He's yeah, the centers are always on the go. Wouldn't mind seeing him cut a minute or two off of those ice time. And you know what? Even if it takes a few points off the register for those guys, if they become more of an outscoring line, that's, that's, uh, that's going to have to be the, uh, the goal. So Leon Dreisaitl, lazy and overpaid yeah 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 they are. that contract <laughs> that contract's looking mighty fine at this point especially the eight-year aspect that has six years uh still to run it's looking like yeah. grand theft superstar bruce with yeah i saw i read that i thought that was a good line from you <laughs> i read that you know leon now just centering on leon for a minute he scored 50 goals this year and, and 55 assists for 105 points he's the first nhler to score 50 and 50 in the same season since of Jenny Malkin in 2011-12. Seven years since someone has done that. So he wasn't just the only guy. I keep reading. He's the only guy in the league to get 50 and 50 this year. I'm going to see the first guy in the league in a long time to do that. And that's pretty impressive, especially how he uh, how he surged uh, as a goal scorer. And you want to talk about a lazy player. How much time has that guy spent working on a shot, do you suppose? His release is one timer that kept overpowering NHL goalies and picking corners. I'm thinking that's a hard working player that put a lot of effort into that. But 
I don't attend practice, so maybe maybe it's just his gift and he's just learning how to do it. But uh, you know, I, I expect that. Uh, uh, did you ever see him as a fifty goal scorer? Oh yeah, like two years ago, three years ago. <laughs> okay, I saw him as a seventy assist guy. Yeah, potentially. No, I thought he might get thirty goals, thirty-five. Yeah, I thought he might get thirty-five and seventy if he was going to get one hundred and five points, not fifty goals. But all righty, Bruce, oh. let's leave it there. Uh, oh, I got one. I got one more magic stat, and this involves okay. all three of the guys. Okay, this is uh, McDavid, Drysdale, Nugent Hopkins. Among the three of them, scored one hundred and nineteen of Edmonton's two hundred and twenty-nine goals. They scored over half of Edmonton's goals. Three players over half of the goals. Again, I went through, poured through the uh, the sieve that passes for my brain, and I went through the the uh, some of the logs, and I found a team that did this. This was the Los Angeles Kings of 1979-80 with the famous Triple Crown line. And among the three of them, they scored 146 of the Kings' 290 goals. So they literally, one line, they were a full line. They scored half of the team's goals. And that team badly missed the playoffs and got clobbered. That was also a bad team. Yeah, It was a bad team. And the next year, actually, the Triple Crown line scored more goals than that, but the whole team scored way more. So they didn't. They were no longer at the 50% mark. And that team in 80-81 was good. So that's, that's the ideal for the Oilers, is do whatever the Kings did in the summer of 1980. Right. <laughs> Josh right. Barry Murphy, that would be a good place to start. Thanks, Bruce. <laughs> Thanks for talking. Yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.